By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Psalm 137, verses 1 through 4. This is going to be a little bit of an unorthodox morning, so I, you know, I got a, I got a stack of uh, tissues or I don't know, sandpaper here, whatever this is. Uh, when we planted the church, we said we wanted to live uh, as the family of God together. And so I'm treating you guys like you're in my living room this morning. Um, it's been a, been a whirlwind of um, of a couple weeks for us. Um, and to give you a little background information, when my wife, Megan, who was just up here, was pregnant with our third born, uh, actually, no, our last kid, sorry, our fourth born, I lose track sometimes, but our... our uh, our last kid, Maggie, she had some complications in the pregnancy, and uh, some of you prayed for that, and you knew about that, and the, the neurologist called it uh, dystonia. Her left side of her body would kind of cramp up, and it would come about all the time, and we didn't really know what was going on, and we just prayed that God would take it away, and He did. Uh, when the baby was born, it was, it was gone. Um, about three weeks ago, Megan started complaining that she couldn't really see out of her right eye. And uh, I, you know, like a good husband, just wanted to fix her. And so I said, why don't you go to the optometrist? It sounds like you need some glasses. And so uh, she went to the optometrist, and the optometrist said, your eyes are fine. They can do like some kind of test even when you don't respond, I guess, and they can see that your eye is good or whatever. So I said, I want you to go to this retina specialist. Maybe something's going on with the retina. So I uh, went to the retina specialist, and she's there for a couple hours. I've got all four kids in the car. We're in downtown Atlanta trying to figure out what to do, keep them from screaming and uh, uh, hurting each, each other in the van. And, uh, and I get the, the phone call from the doctor, and he says, hey, you've got to go to the emergency room right away. And so uh, we secured child care from folks in the church and family, and uh, went to the hospital at Emory, and while we were uh, at Emory in the kind of the triage of the emergency room, they were like giving her an eye test, and they're like, hey, can you see this card here? Uh, she's like, they're like, read the letters, and you know, with her, with her left eye, she can read them all. With her right eye, she's like, I can't even see you. I can't, more or less the card or any of the letters. And at that point, they knew that something was pretty serious that was going on, and so they, she pretty immediately see, saw an, an optic neurologist there in the hospital. They had great doctors there and got an MRI. And then the following morning, we get the news uh, that the MRI uh, is up very abnormal. Uh, and so they broke the news to us at that point, uh, and this is where I'm headed with this, that uh, it's very likely that my wife had multiple sclerosis. And so the spinal tap that they do after that confirmed the diagnosis. Since then, um, honestly, last, I don't know, 10, 12 days, um, well, 
shorter than that, but this has been going on for a couple weeks. You know, I've, I've found it very hard to open my Bible. It's been like prying open a treasure chest or something that you can't get on because there's a lock on it. And my wife hasn't been able to close hers. And so, here I am in front of you trying to be honest about where I'm at. Um, be honest uh, about what the Bible teaches us about who God is. And I've heard from several of you in the room, uh, you're dealing with similar things. And, and the question really isn't uh, if something like this, if bad news comes in your life, it's when. And I find myself, you know, most of my life trying to run away from those, those uh, times when you get the bad news. But what would it look like for us as a church to go deeper? Because here's the deal. Anecdotal sermons and anecdotal lifestyles don't lead to deep faith. As a church, my heart for us, my, my purpose for us, and my desire for us is that we'd be a deep church. Because only a deep church can walk through the valleys of the shadow of death when they come your way. Now, we, we don't know the extent of Megan's disease. We don't know what it's going to look like. Maybe she'll live a normal life. You know, maybe it'll we won't, no more, no more flare-ups in her life. We don't know. Uh, all we have is today. And I was sitting at a lunch meeting this week, and a guy said, "You know, there's only two days that we should ever be concerned about as Christians: today and that day. That day meaning when the Lord returns, we go to be with Him. Those are the two days that we're worried about. So here we are, looking at today, and Psalm 137 is where." I'm at today, and I think this is a place that God wants to take us as I've wrestled with Him uh, since Thursday through this. Um, I want to read a quote to you from C.H. Spurgeon. And really, our family's situation is just to give you light into where we're at as a family, but also where God wants to take us as a church. Not, not just because our family's gone here, but this is... This is the fruit of something deeper that God wants to draw us into. What it looks like to be a people of deep, deep faith. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the old British preacher, said it this way, Health is set before us as it were the great thing to be desired above all other things. It, it is so. I would venture to say that the greatest blessing that God can ever give to any of us is health with the exception of sickness. Sickness has frequently been of more use to the saints of God than health has. See, Spurgeon struggled with what we now call lupus today, and he had pretty severe depression. And so he walked through those types of things. In church, we need a theology of pain and suffering that's otherworldly. Almost expect it because health, wealth, and prosperity gospel will always leave us empty and lonely when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Good vibes are shallow and the big man upstairs is so impersonal. You know what we need? We need the exact imprint of God's nature found in the person of Jesus Christ who seems to find Himself nearest to those that are broken hearted according to what Psalm 51 says. He's near to the brokenhearted. And as Megan said earlier, most of the time we find ourselves looking for answers, looking for cures, looking for a way out. But really what God wants to present to us is something so much better Himself. So that's what we're going to see today in Psalm 
137, 1-4. So let me give you a little bit of the context of Psalm 137. Um, I'll read it real quick. It's just four verses. I'll read it for us again real quick. Psalm 137, starting at verse 1. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres. It's a small harp. It's an instrument. For there our captors, that is the Babylonians, required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of those songs of Zion. But here's the question to consider. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? See, Israel has been overthrown and conquered. The city of Jerusalem has been sacked and destroyed. The temple desecrated. Families ripped from their homes. Children murdered. Okay, You can read on in 137. It gets pretty graphic there. I'm not going to go into it today. But that's the reason why they request that God to do those things because that's what's been done to them. They're in exile for 70 years. And you know, earlier this year, we preached through the book of Nehemiah. We looked at that story about how God used Ezra and Nehemiah to, to bring the saints back home out of exile. Well, this psalm is written from the heart of exile. What is exile? It's when you're in the place that isn't home. When you're in the place where things aren't as they should be. And if we're honest, a lot of times in life, we find ourselves in situations where things are not as they should be. And the question is, how do we sing the Lord's song when things aren't as they should be? When we think about the way that things should be in life, what emotions erupt in us? The way that health should be, you know, the, 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 the way that unity among humanity should be, the lack of reconciliation that we experience between our brothers and sisters, our co-image bearers in the world. What erupts within you? Well, within these Israelites, as they sat along the Euphrates River in exile, they sat there and they wept. And they wept because things were not as they should be. And if we're honest, we long for the same restoration. Whatever news that you've gotten, whatever thing that's broken in your life or that will come in your life that is broken and makes you so, it makes, makes life so evident that things aren't the way that they should be. The question is, how do we sing the Lord's song? And the, the problem is never in expressing grief and lament about the pain that we experience in life. Here's the problem. The problem for Christians is doing that without hope. And the book of Hebrews says we have this hope that's the anchor of our souls. It goes on to say in 1 Thessalonians, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that is, those that have gone on to be with the Lord, that you may not grieve as others do and have no hope. You see, church, here's the truth. We grieve with hope. Though we though we experience pain, though we experience loss, that we experience the angst of things not being the way that they should be, that's temporary compared to the things that we know are certain even when we can't see them. We, so we grieve those temporary losses, yet we have a permanent gain that awaits us in heaven. The, the, the most 
devastating form of grief, I think, in the Bible is, is what Jesus says in Matthew 16.26. It's those that have gained the whole world yet forfeited their souls. So what would it look like to have the best life imaginable on this earth and to not have Jesus? It would be a total loss. That's the whole point of what Jesus is saying about the, the cost of discipleship. And the question for us is, do we experience grief and lament this way? Do we experience loss this way? As I said, we, we had this desire to plant a church that would be honest. Not manipulative with our emotions, but honest. And so that's why I didn't call someone else in to preach this morning. It would have been a lot easier for me to kind of sit in the back and hide. But when pain and loss come up among us, if we don't have God's people, God's Word, and God's Spirit, what else do we have in life? And so we hit it head on, church, every time that we experience these types of things. And you know what we do? We do it together. So how do we sing the Lord's song when we're in a foreign land? Let's keep moving to this. Here's what I think the answer is. It's the fact that Jesus sings within us. I think so many times we look to sing the Lord's song out of our own strength. And it's really God's song within us that sings. Israel brought their harps with them when they went into exile. They probably grabbed a few things as they escaped. Maybe a change of clothes, maybe not. But one of the things that they wanted to grab more than anything else was that little lyre. That little harp. Because as Phil said as we started the service today, God commands us to sing. And it's not because our voices are great or we feel like singing, but singing does something in us. It stirs and it touches our emotions. How can I sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? In other words, when we're in captivity, it seems like this clearly can't be God's plan. How can then I sing His song? The circumstances of captivity bring you to a place where you realize things aren't as they should be. How do we sing when the circumstances that providence has dealt us are undesirable? We sing the Lord's song. So, why do we sing? We sing because God is after our emotions and our response of worship to Him. We sing because God is after our holistic being. He's after all of us. Heart, soul, mind, strength. That's what He wants inside of us. Singing has always been a staple in the worship of God's people because there's no other way to get to our emotions without singing. Because it's impossible to sing without evoking emotion. Is it not? It's impossible to sing without evoking emotion within inside of us. And when we come together as a church, Sometimes it's easy to sing God's praise, isn't it? Other times, like this morning, man, I couldn't, the first two songs, I couldn't hardly sing them. I was trying with everything in me. But you know what I realize in those moments when I can't sing, when I come together with God's people? That sometimes my week and your week only remind us that we're not in Zion, we're not in Jerusalem. So why should we sing those songs? But sometimes our voices. And our songs as we sing together collectively as a church, sometimes they're for the people that are around us when they can't quite vocalize the song that their heart wants to sing. And sometimes the song that we sing is for the people that can't sing right now. Amen? When we do that together as a church, Jerry Bridges says it like this, sharing in suffering 
probably unites our hearts together in Christ more than any other aspect of fellowship. So when we come together and we sing together, it's a way to share in the sufferings of Christ together. Because sometimes we don't have the words to sing. The big idea of where this whole thing's headed is this. Our circumstances will never lead us to sing the song of Jesus. Instead, you know what your circumstances cause you to do? They either cause you to sing your own song because things are going so great in your life, apparently. Or they cause you to sing no song at all when things are so bad that you can't quite voice it. We sing the song of Jesus together. That's, what, that's the song that we sing, number three. None of our songs will ever reach God's ear in heaven apart from the song of Jesus within us. You know what I was realizing this week as I was spending a little bit of time yesterday morning in Hebrews chapter 2 is that suffering and singing always go together in the Bible. I mean, like literally. I mean, you see suffering, you see singing. Like in the Psalms especially. And, and for those of you that find it difficult, I, I, was, I was telling one of our, our classes this, this summer that we were leading, a TFL class, Theological Foundations for Leaders class we led this summer. I was telling them that it was difficult for me to read the Psalms. And, and I think sometimes it's difficult to read the Psalms when we don't let ourselves open up to emotion. Because when we read Psalm 137 and we see the question, how can I sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? We know the answer. Theologically, we know it in our heads. But often our hearts feel like, man, I don't want to sing the Lord's song right now because things aren't going my way. The Psalms are after something in us that is very emotional. In fact, I don't know if many of you know this or not. Maybe all of you know this. The book of Songs is the original hymn book of God. They're meant to be sang. So, when we think about what Jesus does for us as His people, oftentimes we think about Jesus mediating our relationship with God. So, what do I mean by that? That He, uh, he represents God to us. That He has satisfied the wrath of God that we deserve. And He stands in our place. And He sits at the right hand of the Father. And we pray to God through Christ because when God looks at us, He sees Jesus. It's this beautiful picture of the good news. But oftentimes we don't think about God mediating our, or Jesus mediating our worship to God. So Jesus meets us and He mediates our worship to, He carries our worship to God. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 10 through 12 says this, For it was fitting that He for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So there's the suffering piece. Jesus had to come and suffer. It was necessary for Jesus to do that. For He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why He is not ashamed to call them brothers. Saying, and He's quoting Psalm 22.22 here, which is a Messianic psalm. He says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Church, Jesus sings. Did you know that? Jesus sings. In Matthew 26, you see after kind of the upper room discourse where they're having the Last Supper together and He's getting ready to be taken into Roman custody and thrown on that cross. It kind of has this little aside that I always found interesting. And it says this, and Jesus sang one of, his, one of their favorite songs before they left. One of their favorite hymns before they left. 
Jesus sings. It was a part of His life. And, and the fact that Hebrews chapter 2 says that He's not ashamed to call us brothers, that's, that's what He's singing about. The fact that He's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Jesus is proud to call us His brothers and sisters. He's so proud that, that He boasts about us in the congregation. Jews and Gentiles, they all belong to Him and He's so proud to boast in that He's singing about His redeemed and beloved bride. He's singing about us and about how we've been restored to God. And how all is not lost because He's overcome death. He's overcome the pain, the sting of death. So there seems that He's interested in our song and that Jesus is the one that sings within us. Think about what Jesus did. Jesus left His home in heaven where everything was perfect. Everything was as it should be. Everything was so Jerusalem-like. It was so Zionist. It was, it was a beautiful place. Everything was as it should be. And He entered a foreign land full of exiles, image bearers of God, called the earth. Not out of discipline from His Father, but out of love from the Father. John 3.16, one of the most beautiful passages, I think we miss the meaning sometime. John 3.16 is about God. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. What did God do because He loved the world? He sent His Son Jesus that all who would call upon His name would experience salvation. For God so loved the world. That's why Jesus came and took on suffering. Jesus sang the song of heaven in the land of the dying until He sang the most beautiful words of the song that you and I have ever heard when He was on the cross. And those last three words that He sang were this, it is finished. That's what He sang. And that's the song that we carry around in our heart that outwardly we waste away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. And we sing that song with confidence because it's finished. I'll give you one more quote from Spurgeon and we'll wrap this up. It's easy to sing when we can read the notes by daylight. But He is the skillful singer who can sing when there is not a ray of light to which to, be, to read. Who sings from his heart and not from a book that he can see because he has no means of reading. Save from that inward book of his own living spirit whence notes of gratitude pour forth in songs of praise. Church, I'm in process here, okay? This is raw, okay? It's not polished. But we're the family of God. If I can't do it here, where can I do this? If you can't be where you're at in this church, where can you be where you're at? So we come to God with where we're at today, and we know that the song that He's called us to sing is not to be found within our own strength, but within the strength of Christ in us. And I know that each of us, we carry around the, the death and the pain of sin in different ways. With Some of you struggle with addiction, and some of you experience the sickness and these physical calamities. Some of your families have been absolutely destroyed by the power of sin and you spend your life pretty lonely. But Jesus is with us. What would it look like, church, in our lives if circumstances didn't determine our joy? What would it look like for us to drink from the streams of living 
water together even when it seems like we're in a drought? What would it look like to sing the song of eternity in a temporary land for you this week? This is the song of Jesus. This is the song that His people sing. This is the song that He puts within us. Let's pray. Our Father, let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the Founder and Perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross despising its shame. There's not more beautiful words than that. For the joy of the cross. It was, it was pure joy for Jesus to come and experience the exile and the alienation from the Father so that He could bring us back to heaven with Him. God, help us to sing the song of Jesus. Help us to be people of depth. Help the seed, the Gospel seed that's been planted in our hearts take root deep. Plant us by those streams of living water that Jeremiah 17 speaks of that when the drought comes, that we don't cease to bear fruit because it's Jesus singing within us. God, meet us where we're at today as we turn to take this table. Some of us are crawling to this table if we're honest, God. We can barely get there. But you sit at the head of this table. You say, come. Eat. Come drink. For there's an abundance of nourishment at this table. And this table is for all of those who know that they're weak and know that they're weary and know that they have no hope apart from Jesus. And so that's how we come to You today, Father. And we thank You for Your good news even when we don't feel like singing. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.